Pastor, and he's going to talk about something we really are looking forward to. And he tells me we can't get really fired up about it. I made that up, but <laughs> but he probably will. And he's going to be giving us a sermon today called um, "What Is This Thing I Hear Today?" Civilization? Are we there yet? There we go. Now we're there. Or are we there? Uh oh. We went to the other side. Well, greetings, and those who are tuning in, greetings to you on God Sabbath Day. Uh, nice, warm Oklahoma summer. I might be a little facetious on that one. <laughs> and a very hot summer this year. Um, anyway, I think um, <clears throat> anyone who's ever had kids in a car going a long way, recognize, are we there yet? I'm, I was guilty of that when I was a kid. I'm <laughs> saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? I was pushed by an interesting article. That's the reason why I'm in my title. And I have to ask the question, are we there yet? Um, and then we're going to find out if God thinks we're there yet with civilization. The article was written by uh, Tracy Lee Simmons, and it's how to recognize civilization when you see it. Kind of an interesting, it piqued my interest in that. So I, I downloaded it and, uh, and read through it. And I'm going to read all of it because that, I think that's, um, uh, most of it is uh, his ideas, his thoughts. But he did have some, uh, one interesting point in, in the, the, how to define a civilization. How to define a civilization. Do we find it by that material or technological standard? We could admit that no civilization has been more advanced than our own. Which, of course, gives us a license to smugness and certainly permission to dismiss all the poor sods who had to live without the latest iPhone. Why learn about people who have nothing to teach except how to, be, how to live backwardly? But when we look to those not so easily quantifiable measures, spiritual, ascetic, or intellectual values, and I've marked that line because it goes back to the first, but uh, we in the modern world may not pan out so well indeed. When we look around today, we seem to be in danger 
and these very fronts of regression and sinking into a dark, relentless, unforgiving neo-barbarism. And if you find that an aggression um, Take a, a look at any number of Twitter feeds. <laughs> I'm not into Twitter, but I understand that that's a, uh, an area where there's a lot of aggression. Here's a query for discussion. Are we possibly becoming no more but less civilized in our time? And if so, what are the implications and how are we to teach and how do we learn? Well, we teach and we learn from God, of course. Um, I'd like to uh, get my book open so I know where I'm going. There's a definition in the dictionary. I guess we can do that one. Civilization, defined by Merriam-Webster Dictionary. A relatively high level of cultural and technological development specifically the stage of cultural development at which writing and keeping of written records is attained. Well, I guess we could say that that's probably true. And there is no end of books, and there is no end of writing. And the scriptures talk about that. The culture characteristic of a particular time or place, the impact of European civilization on the land they colonized. And we were colonized by and the Europeans, not just England, but uh, Ireland, um, Germany, a lot of Germans. They came over and colonized the Americas. The process of becoming civilized, civilization, slow process with many failures and setbacks. That's number two. Refinement of thought, manners, or taste, exhibiting a high level of the civilization. A situation of ur urban comfort. A situation of urban comfort. Here's an example would be our African safari was quite interesting, but it was great to get back to civilization. I think all of us probably can attune to the fact that we, especially us older people, don't want to go back to the day when we don't have, didn't have air conditioning. It was a little brutal when I was a kid, and we didn't have even one air conditioner in the house. And we had temperatures like this, and we had to, you know, run a fan, whatever we could do to keep cool. Sometimes we got up in the middle of the night because it was so hot in the house that we couldn't, uh, we couldn't live in it and we couldn't stay in it. So we get outside and try to do our best to stay cool. I think we're also thankful um, uh, for the technology. Uh, Brian, I told you about how I used to run off and no phones, no nothing, and be out in the middle of nowhere. Okay, let me turn this off. This off gets a little fuzzy up here. Try to find the last button. I can't find the last button. I can find the unplug button. Um, and so all of the things that we have today, all of the technology, all that's happening with cell phones and all of that, it, it seems like we're a civilization, that we're civilized in this society. And yet, by God's standard, are we really civilized? Are we really a civilization? You know, we're becoming worldwide. This is not just America now. We are 
global. People are wanting to have um, that wor- a global world order. They want to have that world order because we are uh, reaching out to all peoples around the world. Now you can get on your cell phone if you've got an app, and you can call anywhere in the world and talk to anybody in the world. But does that make us any better by God's standards? So let's look at some of these things. I want to go to. I want to do a little. Uh, this is going to be mostly prophetic and looking at the current situation in America, the current situation. Um, and what's going on in the world. So let's turn to Matthew, the 24th chapter. I was also inspired by Matt's message last week on the kingdom. So, saying the king is the kingdom and the king is those things. Well, let's look at uh, Matthew 24. We'll pick it up here in uh, the third verse. And he sat upon the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? And really, the world means the end of the age. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Oh, boy. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am in Christ, and shall deceive many. Ye shall hear of wars or rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for... All these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in different places. With the little war that's happening over there in Ukraine, it could develop into a very large war over the whole of the world. Now, hopefully, and thankful, and I just hope and pray that it that it doesn't dissolve out of that and come out and 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 start being um, a world war at this time. But it has potential, and so we have a war going on. And if you were really honest, there have been wars going on for a very, very long time. I gave a message one time: how many wars since 1900? And it's a lot. It's a bunch. How many? Millions of people have died through war. And there's a lot of people. Jesus says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. They shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Then shall um, many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. So, I think we're seeing a lot of that in the society that we live in, but we've been seeing that for, for, for a while, for quite a while, in fact. And things have been, I think, progressing more and more <laughs> when we were first in the church. So, these are the things we wanted to see. We want to see this, but we don't want to live through it. That's the problem. We don't want to really live through the the trials and the tribulations that's going to come upon the world, that's going to come upon us individually. It's going to be a difficult time. Let's go to, I'll come back here in a little while. I want to go to Second Timothy. And let's read a little bit about the age that we live in. And I think um, everybody is very familiar with 
in scriptures. Second Timothy, the third chapter. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. When you read these words and you think about the society that we live in, the things that are going on in the world, and especially if you are any at all attuned to the news anywhere that make any difference, you find that there is so much of this that's, that's happening in our in our United States, our beautiful America that we just got through singing, America the beautiful, and it's becoming more and more tarnished, not because the, the, the things that we have or the uh, the beauty of the you know, um, of the force and all that that's still out there, but because of the sins of the people that live in this society. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, um, that means uh, without self-control, for those that <laughs> fierce, despises those that are good. Um, this is becoming more and more prevalent today. Christians are now, um, especially if you if you uphold the things that are in the Scriptures that are in the Bible, you become um, all of the phobias all at once. <laughs> Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, and such turn away. So we see, um, in every way we see a society that's, that's, that's kind of like this. It's beginning to get worse and worse. I am... Um, I gave a message a long time ago on this book. Uh, I'm not going to read a whole lot of it. There's a couple of things in here I'd like to, to talk about. It's called The Shattered Tablets. And this um, individual, David Klinghoffer, is a Jew. And he has some things to say against um, Christians. But in one aspect, you know, the book that he has written there, The Shattered Tablets, why we ignore the Ten Commandments to ourselves. Well, probably one very interesting in that he goes through, and he lives in Seattle. Um, and this was written back in, I think, like 2005. And if you imagine what he was writing back in 2005, amplified many, many times today. Um, no, 2007, I'll take that back. Not, <laughs> not much different. 2007. He... He goes through all of the Ten Commandments and shows from the perspective of the city that he lives in, which is Seattle, Washington. And he, the crux of it is, is that <laughs> it's a godless society. No one in every aspect of the Ten Commandments are obeying any of them. Are they're oblivious even to these the commandments. And in fact, the, the universities and, and, and the things that these people are coming out of, these young people that are coming out of it, are taught to hate 
God and to hate the Ten Commandments. He goes through in the, in the beginning in his introduction about uh, the Ten Commandments that were, um, were put up in, uh, let's see, So then, 2001, having been elevated to the office of Chief Justice of the State Supreme Court, Moore installed a 5,280-pound granite monument of the Ten Commandments in the Alabama Supreme Court building, a monument that was finally uh, removed in 2003 when the will of the U.S. Supreme Court prevailed over the turbulent and defiant Judge Moore. In October 13, 2004, Sodiate Associated Press story bore the striking headline, Ten Commandments Replacing Abortion as Key Christian Issue, Scholar said. A couple of ambiguous 2005 Supreme Court rulings dealing with the display of the Ten Commandments on public property, seemingly calculated to keep the issue of litigation for decades to come, are only the most recent illustration of the power of the Decalogue to reveal philosophical, religious, and cultural fault lines. In the Bible, the children of Israel fall into disastrous behavior patterns whenever they abandon the majestic authority of God revealed uh, to them in the kicking uh, out of the land almost immediately after the Sinai revelation was completed. While still on their 40-year extended camping trip in the desert, the Jews vexed him by uh, whoring after the women uh, of neighboring Midian, uh, Midian Joining an outright revolution against Moses under the radical reformer Korach, um, or Korah, I think that's what it says in there, and then sending in uh, spies to re reconnoiter the Holy Land and then declaring that they would rather return to, uh, to pagan Egypt than to, uh, to be slaves again, of course, by um, fascinating the idolatrous golden, uh, fashioning the idolatrous golden calf. So what happens in a, a modern America when moral authority is uh, disconnected from the traditional ideas about religious, uh, religion as is increasingly the case in our country? You get a place like Seattle, my home. Ah, Seattle, beautiful and gentle in so many ways. The prophet Daniel saw the writing on the wall of King Belshazzar's palace and prescribed the overthrow of the wicked Babylonian Empire. I see the thesis on the wall of the seventh floor men's room in the Seattle uh, Central Library when I often do research. The place is an education all, uh, all right, designed by celebrity architect Lynn Kohlhaas and uh, finished in 2004 for $165 million. It's regarded as an uh, artistic triumph in metal and glass. It also has overrun, it's also overrun by the homeless. To make the elevators stink of unwashed flesh, at their most harmless, they merely stole my lunch. On one occasion, but at most um, repulsive, someone actually festooned the bathroom wall with their own waste. Now, I'll skip over here to this one. When you look at Seattle as a microcosm of what happens when biblical religion falls away, this is what you, you discover. You find traditional ideas about the be, uh, behavior replaced by uh, a parallel but equally different moralist code that makes primary obligations out of things the traditional code makes secondary, such as fitness. 
locks down on other things of traditional cold, strongly encouraging, having kids. Strictly forbids things the odd uh, code leaves to personal discretion, such as smoking, and feels conf- uh, conflicted and uneasy about still other things that a traditional cold uh, feels entirely comfortable with and that are uh, crucial to maintaining public order, policing. So, um, I could go on and on. This uh, thing offers book, he's got a lot of material in there. But I thought what I would do is just jump right into where um, he's, what he's talking about and go to Exodus, the 20th chapter, and talk a little bit about what God set forth for the children of Israel and what is set forth for us down through the ages as we began to understand and um, the, the importance of the Ten Commandments in everyone's life and the importance of God puts on these Ten Commandments. Without obeying every one of these commandments and all the laws and the Torah, Jesus would not have been our Savior. That's how it is. He said none of it, none of it was lost. Destroyed in any way. Not one jot, not one tittle. That's all of the little functions in the Hebrew language. And so Jesus lived his life, obeying and living these Ten Commandments. And so, how important are they for a society, for a civilization, to need these commandments to exist and to continue to exist? and not implode upon one another because of the evil, the sins that are beginning to, to be manifested. He says in verse 2, uh, I am the Lord your God, which have brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. As Christians, we understand that he's brought us out of the house of bondage to the wilderness, the sinful house of bondage just like he brought them out of that sinful life and wanted them to live a more perfect life, a life that would please God, a holy life. So he gave them, (laughs) he gave them ten commandments to live by. And they are perfect commandments because they, he created us, he made us, he made us male and female. We'll have a little bit to talk about that in a little bit, too, as we're, we know what's going on in the society that we live in and why this is so important. He says, You'll have no, you shall have no other gods before me. In the society that we live in today, and in fact, it just seems like you could have picked all the different gods that are out there. Um, sporting gods. You know, people that Hollywood gods you bow down to, to these. You become involved in them. You become so enmeshed in them. You uh, you put them before anything else. And so God says, "You shall have no other gods before me." So in our own life, we have to really work at, don't we? 
and we're not allowing other things to interfere with, with, with what God wants for us to do. We, we need to be worshiping that our God and understanding God of the Bible, God of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make to you any graven image or any likeness of anything that is uh, in heaven above or is earth beneath or that is in the water underneath. And you shall not bow down yourself to them to serve them, for I am the Lord your God and the jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation that hate me. And if you'll notice, we have flags, uh, we have some plaques on the wall, we have some <laughs> volunteers needed in the back of the room back there, but we don't have any images of Jesus on the wall. We don't have any crosses on the wall. We don't have a steeple on the top of our church because we believe what the Bible says. We are not to take those and, and make anything of the heavens above or anything and then worship it. We are to understand spiritually who God is. We are to come to God as holy people and, li and understand His Word and let it work in our life and not make graven images that would stand in place of God. It seems like others have so much is what's happening. He says, um, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy to thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. You know, when we do try to keep the commandments to the best of our ability, God does seem to have mercy on us. He's loved it. He loves us. He has called us out of this world. He's given us understanding of His Word. There's another one that's so very important, and it's very important that we understand that our language is so important that we keep our... Um, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. I was trying to think of some things that might be that way, but I was thinking of people that take and use the name of Jesus and yet promote uh, taking women now that they have to go across borders uh, for abortion out of churches. Churches that actually promote homosexuals in the pulpit. And not quite as important, but women in the pulpit, because God, Paul has given us instruction on that. But this is important to understand. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And everything it takes, everything in your life, you need to learn how to speak so that you're not taking that name in vain. Here we are on the Sabbath day. We're remembering this day. One of these days, everyone will be remembering this day. But right now, there is confusion about the Sabbath. We understand, and we've studied, and we've researched, and we've looked, and we've spent an awful lot of time in many, many things understanding the Sabbath day. But this is the Sabbath day. The seventh day of the week is the Sabbath. And so we're trying, to the best of our ability, to 
Worship God on His day. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. How important is that? That this day be kept to God as a holy day, an important day. It comes around once a week. We gather for a couple, three, four hours at the most. We're here to worship God and to praise Him and to give Him glory on His day. And we try to help others to understand how important this day is and in worshiping. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God, and in it you shall not do any work, nor uh, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, your maidservant, your, your maidservant, your cattle, nor the stranger that is within your gate. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in it, and rested on the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the seventh day, the Sabbath day, and hallowed it. And so, consequently, we see. By the way, this whole scenario is God speaking to Israel around the bases of the Mount Sinai, and He is booming out these Ten Commandments and scares them to death. But it's in, it was important for God to bring this make this message to His people to help them to understand how important these ten commandments were uh, and still are to this day. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the earth, on the land, which the Lord your God gives you. This one really is a very... Um, In every way, this one shows the defeat of the society that we live in today. How many children grow up with just one parent in the society that we live in? Now, the parents have to also have to be honorable. Um, and that was I heard that a long time ago, that you have to also have two parents that are honorable. But if you have two parents that are honorable and you're growing up in it, as a child, you should honor your parents. Now, uh, my, my brother-in-law, he felt like this one ought to be added to the ones um, that talk about you know, relationship and worship of God. The next ones talk about our relationship uh, you know, and, and the things that we do for one another. Because he is the father of all. He created all. And so, we honor God, our Father. We talked about this way back this last week, the honor of our Father. And so, we, this is one of the more important ones, and we see so much going on in society today. There was a recent incident in which a 14-year-old girl and a 10-year-old girl beat up a 73-year-old man, killed her. Literally. Now, what goes through the mind of children? Where were their parents? What's happening? Now, that's not the only incident. We know all around. We've already had an 18-year-old go in and start killing people. We've had a 22-year-old killing people. Parents need to know all about their children. And their children need to obey their parents. 
the society that we live in, the civilization, is broken in that one area. Very broken. What do we have in, in, in most of the, the cities like Chicago and uh, Los Angeles? And we have black-on-black wars and wars with Hispanics and different ones because they have grown up in broken families. One of the strongest things that you can do is to have a solid family structure. Bring your children up in that solid family structure. And that's why God says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God gives you. Because they will give you a way, especially if they're grounded in the word of God, they will really give you a truth and way to live. And my parents, my mother was a, a believer, but she just didn't come into this way. And she would read to us and everything. My dad, and we talked about this in our men's room, my dad was a very um, manly man. <laughs> he, was, he was a strong man, a manly man. And he was able to, um, through that, he was able to, to give that over. And I think he really loved my sister and I. Um, I think we gave him a lot of pain until we got older, like a lot of teenagers do, and give their, their parents pain. But... It seemed like um, in our family there was just this really good um, relationship between my mother, my father, my sister, and myself. And so it it kind of rubbed off on me. It wasn't that they were all that religious. My mother was more so than my dad. She wanted us to find religion, you know. So she was saying, look out here, look out there. Uh, but it was still a good cohesive family, and so I'm very thankful to come from that from that family uh, environment. I've tried in my own uh, poor way to, to do the same thing with my my children, and I love my children. I love my grandchildren, and it's been it's uh, I'm I can't believe that my my children are all grown up now. And I've now got grandchildren because it seems like it went so quickly, so fast. It's just like a flash of uh, in my eyes. I can I can see things that we did and things that we did uh, at the feast and everything that we did. But it's 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 history now, and it's part of, of my my history, my progeny. Um, along with that, I, I think I've said enough about that. I, I, everyone needs to really. Meditate on God's commandments and think about them in the in the, the light of the society that we live in, and especially as you read the news. Why don't they obey the commandments? When you read something so horrible, why aren't they teaching them the commandments not to kill? Thou shalt not murder. Why is that so hard to teach? We are so disjointed now in this society that we're almost back to, to the old West days. I notice that they, you know, they're always showing where to, where to hide your gun so you can be safe. And so uh, you never know how many people are walking around with concealed weapons anymore ready to, to, to fire off just like they did in the old West. 
one of these days I think we're all going to have a strap to our to our hip from walking around because the society is devolving into barbarism. And you never know. Now, there's been a series of talks on um, um, KRMG recently about all the schools in, in the Tulsa area, Bixby, uh, different schools in the areas, and what they're doing. They keep from having the Evaldi thing happen in their schools. And so there was <laughs> they had people walking the schools down and, and, and going to extra extremes to make sure that those kids are safe when they're inside that building. It's amazing <laughs> for the older people. <laughs> I, uh, now, I, I never was too much of the guns, but I remember several times some of the kids that lived more out in the rural areas would come with a gun in the back of their pickup truck when they were old enough. And they would, they would have their 22 or their shotgun because they were going to go hunting after they got out of school. There was so much of that, if you were, especially if you lived in a rural area, that was, um, that was just a part of it. But now, there are people are so scared because you shall not murder. You shall not kill one another. God teaches us not to kill. And yet, what's our history? World wars. All the things that have happened. We're not there yet. We haven't made it. Well, here's one <laughs> that's so prevalent in our society. And the word adultery is, does not cover just you know, what happens in a marriage when you know, someone leaves and goes and commits adultery. This is the whole gamut of all the things that happen. You shall not commit adultery. There is an, and I didn't give this to, to um, Brian. But if you want to study what God thinks about our own personal relationships, um, you go to Leviticus, the 18th chapter. And I'm not going to read all of it because I don't want, um, because we still have some children here, but I want to, I want, I want to emphasize this whole chapter tells us how we should our relation, our sexual relationships with our, with our children, with our family and with inner families, and all of that. God has written it down. It's in the book. It's easy to read. Why can't we follow it? It says in, in Leviticus, the 18th chapter, and I'm just going to read just a few verses because I don't want to get into it too much. Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to revile yourself with her. 21, you shall not lie, let any of your seed pass through the fire of Moloch. Neither shall you profane the name of the God, uh, uh, name of your God. I am the Lord. And so we uh, have been doing for for a very long time, letting our seed, our posterity, pass through uh, the fire of Moloch. It's just a little different. You shall not lie with mankind as with womankind. God calls us an abomination. And he's got this a detestable, and then I eat grossly sinful. Grossly sinful. Neither shall you lie with any beast to defile yourself therewith. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down before that. It is confusion, and confusion also means perversion. Defile not yourself 
in any of these things, for in all of these the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. So we're coming in around, and we're getting to be like the heathen nations that used to exist around Israel. And we're just bringing it in and allowing it to happen. And the land is defiled. Understand this. This is one commandment that defiles the land. And as some have said, and wondered why God has not intervened at, at this point in time. This is, this is a serious thing. This defiles the land. Therefore, I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it, and the land itself vomits out her inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your, any of your own nation, nor any stranger that sojourns among you. And I wanted to, to, to say something about that. Because God did allow the strangers to come and live among the Israelites. And they had a ruler, <laughs> didn't they? All the men had to be circumcised, because that was the first rule. If you're going to be a heathen and you want to, to live in Israel and you want to be a part of it and you want to get all the benefits, the first thing you're going to do is the, the males are going to be circumcised. The second thing is, and, and the book of Ruth is very, very wonderful in helping us to understand, because the Moabites were, um, <laughs> whoa, we don't have anything to do with the Moabites. Ruth was a Moabite. And she had lost her husband, and Naomi had lost her husband, and and her sister stayed in, in, in Moab, but she came with Naomi and she said, your land is my land, your God is my God, and I will, I will go with you. And that is how the immigrants are to come into the land. I guess somebody was saying now, you, you, you can become a citizen without learning English. And I didn't know that. I thought you still had to learn English. Um, if you're going to do business, you probably still would have to learn it, but maybe they've changed the law and now people uh, don't have to learn English to, to, to become a citizen of the United States. I didn't know that, but uh, and I don't know that for a fact, but it might be true considering what's going on. The next one. All right. The land is being defiled, and we're really in, in deep now, aren't we? So let's talk about what's not stealing. <laughs> oh, would it be nice not to have a raise? Uh, maybe some of you kind of more than like there. <laughs> That's enough, though. I don't, my pockets have holes in for carrying all these keys. The day would be nice to come when there was not any need for uh, your items not to be stolen. I still don't understand, uh, and maybe someone here can explain it to me, how a place like California, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and all of that area would make a law that says, oh, you can steal up to $900 worth and we won't prosecute you. Duh. I, you know, What's going to happen? All these shops are going to just close. They're going to 
there's not going to be anybody open anymore. They're going to shut them down because they're going to wipe out all of their goods. They can't do anything. They can't prosecute them. They can't arrest them. They can't shoot them. <laughs> and, you know, you know whatever you know, it used to be that somebody would steal in the old days, they'd go after them and either hang them or shoot them. And that's not happening today. Thankfully, in the, where we live, you better not be stealing here or you'll be spending some time in jail. But there are places in the United States where that is happening. And people then take advantage and they beat down doors and they, and they beat up people and they steal from them and they do things that are so, so bad. This next one is so prevalent in our society and especially in our politics, you shall not bear false witness. <laughs> against your neighbor, against anything, anybody. I mean, it just seems like the, the lying goes on and on and on and on and trying to shuffle through the lies and trying to get some, some truth out of anything is getting more and more difficult. You know, God gives us truth, and the truth is this. Remember what Jesus said, um, God, and, you know, God's word is truth. So all that we have here is truth. And so when we are obedient to the truth and we keep these things and we, we understand that it's important not to lie. Lying is so, so bad. I mean, it gives a false impression of the person. It gives an impression of, of someone that cannot be trusted because they lie. You cannot, you cannot believe anything they said because they lie. I'm sorry, but a lot of politicians are that way. You, can just, you cannot believe anything they say. And so, we, we live in a society based on a lot on, on lies. The next one is an interesting one, isn't it? <laughs> to covet. To covet your neighbor's house. Uh, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not, nor his manservant, his manservant, his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is his neighbor's. And so we live in a society in which there's always uh, a desire uh, to have what the neighbor has. Well, I've never been that way. I just, I, I just, God gives me a blessing of, of work and opportunity to do things and opportunity to preach and teach. And, and I'm not worried about uh, somebody else's wealth. If they're able to make a lot of money, that's fine. Most of the people that make, up until recently, when we've gone kind of woke, most of the people that make a lot of money are out there generating jobs for people like me who need you know, work. Thankfully, I have a job in which uh, someone that had some money took, took over our our company, so I'm thankful that he did, because I would be out of totally out of work, and I have to live on my social security. These days, not very much. <laughs> so anyway, coveting is God says not to covet anything. Don't covet your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's stuff, your neighbor's anything, or anything that someone else has. If we ever got to that position in our life, where we were satisfied with everything we had. <laughs> if kids had to bring us a big TV, I wouldn't buy one. <laughs> Not the biggest TV now out there, 
everybody for business reasons. And you know, I was satisfied with the little or smaller one. In fact, I watch movies on the, my little uh, my little tab sometimes. It goes back to the days when I was, I think, when I was a kid, and the only TV I had was about this big, and I couldn't, you know, didn't, my glasses didn't work. I didn't have glasses back then, so I'd sit right up on top of it to watch it, you know, because it was just a little old tiny thing. But covering, we don't cover anything. So the commandments are so extremely important. And so much that we should learn them and, and, and live by them and understand them and keep them. Proverbs. And I know that we don't keep them perfectly. That's why we have a Savior at the, at the right hand of the Father. We go to and we know that we've sinned because uh, sin is the transgression of God's law. That's what it's all about. And so understanding God's law and understanding what sin is is important in our, in our spiritual life. In Proverbs, the sixth chapter, God says those things he hates. I mean, he really hates these things. He says they're an abomination to him. We're going to repeat one that we just were talking about. He said, yea, seven are an abomination. These things I hate, and seven are abominations. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, have a lot of that in, this, in our society. A heart that devises wicked imaginations. God, remember, God can see the heart. You know, this is, you know, oh, he, he don't know what I'm doing. Yes, he does. He knows when people are devising wicked things. Remember, he saw the wickedness before he brought the flood. All men were wicked, and only Noah found grace in his eyes. Had that. A heart that devises wicked imaginations. Feet that are swift running to mischief. And get into a gang anywhere in the society, even, Oklahoma, even in Oklahoma. Uh, Chicago, especially, some of those areas. You get into a gang, and what are they doing? They're challenging you to sin and to go after and to do the things that are illegal and wrong. And they're devising mischief, evil things. A false witness that speaks lies, and a he that sows discord among brethren. It's important, especially in the church, that we love one another, and that you know, if we have different opinions, that's fine. But that we, we, we follow what uh, what the, the congregation is following, and we live one, uh, peacefully one, together. Um, and, uh, probably answering questions, but don't sow discord in the in the congregation, and especially among brethren. So these are the things that God hates: an abomination. He says seven things, and in Isaiah five, this one you could make a whole sermon out of it, but and 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 go back and forth and. Um, and look at all the different uh, ramifications of these woes. But for Israel, and what he was teaching them and trying to help them to understand, was they were um, falling into 
the wickedness of the nations around him. And so he's always giving instructions. Isaiah had a tremendous amount of instruction for, for, the, for, for Israel and for us. Uh, let me pick it up here in verse, uh, I think verse 7, uh, verse 8. In verse 8, Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, till there is no place that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. Now, it, it's interesting that if you go to San Francisco, <laughs> the houses are right next to each other. They have no, they have, in, in many places, they have no yards, no nothing. And in fact, since they are all on a hill, they kind of, and how they ever built those like that, I don't know. Because you got one, you got one apartment here and another apartment there, another apartment here, another apartment there, and they, they stair step all the way down, unless you're on Knob Hill and you're very rich, and then you have your own house and a, and a you know, security fence around it. Because you don't want to be down in San Francisco, in the heart of San Francisco, because you got drug addicts and and peddlers and everything that's going on down there is a bad place to go. And part of that is what he's talking about. Uh, there is no place to be alone in the midst of the earth. To meditate. Seek God. To find God. He said, In my ears, the Lord of hosts, of a truth, many houses shall be desolate, even great and fair without inhabitant. Yea, Ten acres of vineyard shall yield one bath, and seed of uh, honor, Homer shall yield an ephah. Woe number two. Woe to them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink. They continue into the night to wine and flame drink. And the harp and the viol and the tabaret and the pipe and the wine are in their feast, but they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of his hand. It's um, party time. Uh, it's, um, what do they call it? Uh, they have a name for it when it's 5 o'clock and you can uh, go get a free beer and then you get, you know, keep drinking and keep, you know, doing it. It's party time. That's what he's talking about. So let's go every day. We're going to go. I had a guy that I worked with every day. He hit the bar on the way home. Every day. Didn't miss it. <laughs> um, so that was his, that was his, um, his life. He says, therefore, my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge and their honorable men are famished and, uh, and their multitude dried up with thirst. Therefore, hell has enlarged itself and opened their mouth without measure and their glory and their multitude and their pomp and he that rejoices shall descend into it. And the mean man shall be brought down and the mighty man shall be humbled and the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled, but the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment, and God that is holy shall be sanctified in righteousness. Amen. I want to say, one of these days, that's going to happen. And everyone that is not aware of what God thinks is going to have to answer to him. Then shall the lambs feed after their manner, and the waste places of the fat one shall be strangers eaten. And woe number three. To them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin, as it were, with a cart uh, rope, that they say, Let him make speed and hasten, 
his work that we may see it and let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come that we may know it. And so this is a, an interesting thing of, of drawing a, a cart with a full of iniquity, kind of like uh, a, a cart full of manure, and they're drawing it around and doing, making haste, and it's, it's vain and it's sinful. Um, it, it seems like this is the way that our you know, society is. And this is the one that, that I like. Woe to them that say uh, that call good, uh, that call evil good, and good evil, and put darkness for light, and light for darkness, and put uh, bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. Wow, that sounds like our society that we live in today. Well, they want to cloud everything up and make you think that this is the real thing. That there really can be. A girl turned into a boy, and a boy turned into a girl without any problems whatsoever. Oh, man, we've got to make sure that our young kids can do this, so that they are able to do it, because this is what is so important in this society today. We need to make sure these kids know this and understand it. Even though the science has been there for a long time, there, there's no way. There is no way that you can change the sex of, uh, from a boy to a girl or a girl to a boy. There's just no way. Woe to them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Um, you can look at Romans one twenty two if you like. Woe to them that are mighty to drink uh, to drink wine and men and strength to mingle strong drink. And I'd like to put in there those who are you know because this society is called for those who are uh, uh, addicted to drugs. And sometimes it's not their fault. They've had a, uh, an accident or something, and, and they've had to take these strong drugs, and they get uh, addicted to them, and it becomes a part of their life. Other times it's a bit, somebody has gotten them on it, and they can't get off of it, and it's just a, a vicious cycle. And woe to them, because it makes it difficult in their life, and it is very hard for them to live and to function with this addiction. Alcoholism is the same way. It's justify the wicked for reward, take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. And I'm going to, since I've only got about a few minutes, let's go to, um, let's go to Micah, the fourth chapter. Because, um, and I have one other scripture, but it, it, um, it just fits in with the ones I've already been reading. What we find is, is that we're not there yet. <laughs> like, we want to be there. We keep asking God, are we there yet? Are we there yet? But we're not there yet. And I, sometimes we're praying that God's kingdom would come. Please bring your kingdom. Please bring peace to Jerusalem. Do the things that are in the scriptures that we know. We're, we're praying for that. But in reality, what we find is, that it's not that we're not there yet, and God has His own timetable, and He has already written it down as to what He's going to do, and how He's going to do it, and He's going He's putting it together. For in the last days it shall come to pass, and this is the civilization that all of us are going to live in. I <laughs> I want it this civilization. I want to be able to promote it in the in the kingdom of God. I want this kind of civilization. I want everyone to look forward to the day when this really does come to pass. 
And we don't have to say, is it there yet? Is it there yet? Because we'll, we'll be there. The mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow into it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. It will be a law that will go out through all, all the world. He shall judge men of many people, and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. And nations shall not lift up war, uh, lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And if you've watched any of the prophetic things that are going on in, in, in the Ukraine, um, and you watch the destruction of the buildings and the people that are dying, it's just horrible. I want the kingdom to come. I want to get rid of all these crazy people that think that war and killing people is the answer. And especially the communists have a terrible record. Communism is awful. Millions have been killed because of communism. It's not just thousands, but millions. Anytime a dictator takes over, he kills all that would be against him. And that means engineers, scientists, religious people, all of those who might have to stand up. It is a horrible, horrible thing. That's my soapbox for the day. But they shall set every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken that. And I think there's a possibility, because of all the things that are going to come about, and all the destruction in the earth, and because it's going to be a terrible time bringing in this kingdom, that we may go back to an agrarian society. And which might be good. It might be good for mankind to go back. I mean, God's going to change. He didn't talk about climate change. The Bible talks about climate change. <laughs> He's really going to change it. And this might be the most perfect thing for people to have a plot of land their own trees, their own land, and, and, and raise things and, and worship God. For all people will walk, everyone, in the name of this God, and we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. And so, are we there yet? I don't think so. We're not there yet. We still have a long ways to go. But God has a plan. He has a great plan for civilization. It will be a wonderful plan for all of mankind. And those that aren't there when he puts it into effect, someday will be resurrected and they will know that he has a great plan for civilization.